0: This is state of demand gen. hey everyone welcome to the state of demand gen podcast where we're going to mash together all the different content types events interviews demand gen live when i'm a guest on a podcast linkedin content all here in audio format if you haven't already i would highly encourage you to sign up for the demand gen live sessions that i'm putting together with catano dinardi at 7:30 p.m 4 30 pacific on tuesday evenings tons of great content in there, lots of great insights, live Q&A, building a little community inside there. I'd highly encourage you to check it out. And now to this episode. I got a, a cool place to start. I know you had one topic. We got a couple of questions. We got a nice roadmap. Um, and so where I wanted to start, which I, I I'm, I'm continue to feel more and more passionate about it as my life goes on, um, which is, the idea that if you have, if, if you have things in your life that are not adding to your life, then subtract them. Um, and that, mm-hmm. so I had a conversation with someone today that was in a job, wasn't, wasn't feeling herself for months, left the job, feels amazing again the next day and so you could do that iteration on almost anything in life. Like we're talking professional here, but you could see how that can play in a lot of different personal areas as well. And so, yeah, I just want to kind of set the tone in a easy way and let you riff on that for a minute.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good one, man. Um, so I, you know, I could kind of speak to that. Um, I, I could speak to that in so many ways, but lesson for everybody, I was, um, at pipe drive, which is a sales CRM company, software, SaaS business. And, um, I was about to hit a major milestone in my vesting for my, for my, um, for my stocks in the company. And the way it works is, you know, you, you get more um, stock in the company as time goes on. They usually do this in a time lapse period. So like every year that goes by you get 25%, 25%. And then like, if you, if you're at the company for like four years, then a hundred percent is vested. So I was about to hit a major milestone moment. And what I actually realized was I was like two months away from it. And I was like, you know what, like this, this ain't worth it. I'm so unhappy here. I was dealing with a toxic manager. And um, I just said, I I don't even care about this. So I just left. And uh, it it was absolutely the right choice for my mental well being for my um, just my sanity. Um, And you know, I was, I I didn't even feel bad about it after because some of my my colleagues were like, Oh, all the VCs are realizing that pipe drives growing like a weed and they're offering us like big money to, to, to buy our stock back early because they want to keep as much of it as possible. (laughs) And I just, you know, I said, you know what, take that 10 K or whatever you're going to make. Um, it's just not worth my long-term happiness. So, uh, that's, that's one thing I could, I could share as an example. The other is just last week, you know, I took a week off from work which I haven't done in a really long time and it's been incredibly illuminating. Um, I've been biking, I've been exercising, I've been reading, I've been uh, listening to podcasts, I've been playing guitar. Just I took a week for just pure like self personal development time, G time, you know, and man, that, that was so, 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 so important. Um, I, I can't express it enough. Like if you've, if you've had like ideas in the back of your mind, like maybe starting a podcast or getting a personal, personal project off the ground, something, uh, whatever you've been ignoring because work keeps getting in the way, man, it's powerful. If you just take that time to just go do it. Um, and I feel so much better now, so I, I'll pause there, Chris, yeah. but that, that's, that's how it goes for me.
0: Love it, man. And then in the reverse, if you have something you like and you're not doing enough of it, figure out ways to hack it so that you can do more because you like it if you want to. Right. Um,
1: yeah. cool. Chris, what do you, what do you like to do, man? Man, we, we we never talk I, about this. What do I'm, you like to do I, outside of talking about metrics and and I revenue? Am,
0: <laughs> I am super passionate about about marketing, man. And aside aside from that, I loved I love to exercise. It's basically part of my routine. I'm a very routine oriented person. Um, I think it keeps me in a, in a good spot. So I'm up at the same time every day. I'm giving a lot of some people, some personal stuff, but like up at the same time, every day workout every morning, including Saturday and Sunday, because I just think it makes me feel better the rest of the day. And I think that's worth my, uh, the investment of my time there. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't get too passionate about traveling. I like to do it every once in a while, but, um, I would say you know, being outside, but I, I love to, I love to do marketing. I love to innovate. And so innovation in a lot of different ways, marketing tends to be the way that I do it right now. Um, but I, I, uh, you know, I really like it. Dude, that's awesome. It's just the way, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I could try and make up some other things that I, yeah. that I, that I do. Um, but I just, I love it. Like it doesn't feel like work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, I totally feel you on that one. Just a quick question before we move on. What time do you usually wake up in the morning?
0: somewhere between 5 30 and 5 45.
1: Okay. What time you go to bed? Usually
0: probably somewhere between 10 30 and 11 30. Oh, I get, wow. I try to, I get at least six.
1: Okay. So you're an early sleeper. Okay. Yeah. For, for, for those who, who may or may not know, uh, <laughs> I'm quite the opposite. <laughs> I'm quite the opposite. So, um, <clears throat> I'm actually the exact opposite when Chris is waking up in the morning is usually when I'm going to bed. Wow! Like, yeah, I my average bedtime is like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and I wake up uh, around 11 a.m., and I get into the groove of my day at midday, 12. So
0: <laughs> that's wild. I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so wild. No one understands it. But what I've learned to accept is that like my circadian rhythm is just different than everyone else's. Um, <clears throat> but I also do have insomnia problems. I, I I've spoken about that recently. Um, I'm planning to do some writing about it. Um, I've been taking melatonin, uh, supplements, which have definitely helped and, um, a few other things as well. Some natural remedies, if you know what I mean? Nice. Yeah.
0: Nice. (laughs) Cool. So let's, let's get into the, uh, the B2B, the B2B game, the, uh, core part of this agenda. Um, we had one question that I came in that I put in the agenda, but I, I also have an interesting thing that I continue to see over and over that I think is fascinating. I first recognized it in 2015, Is, is when we started running Facebook ads, we got more inbound inquiries with organic search last touch attribution. And so even if you are like, there are companies out there that are running, get a demo ads and seeing more organic conversions coming through Facebook and not connecting the dots. Um, so Facebook has a view through conversion metric and complex B2B. It gets fluffy because the person that saw the ad might not be the person that converts. They might not do it within the attribution window. They might do it on a different device and on their work computer. They're not logged into Facebook. There are so many different ways. This applies on LinkedIn too. Um, but it, it continues to happen over and over at companies, just the view of the ad, will drive more volume if you spend appropriately. Um, so I just kind of want, I'm sure that you have other examples outside of paid social where where an, uh, execution in one channel drives an outcome in a different channel and a lot of people are not connecting the dots between the two.
1: Yeah, brother. Um, I mean, it comes down to two things. One, um, it works on me. <laughs> so if it works on me, then I, know, then I know it works, right? So here's the deal. I see maybe, and it doesn't work for you doing display. I think display nope. is thing. Doesn't, it, it doesn't work with display, a display display. It can absolutely work with like YouTube pre-roll. Now I'm just not the type that's going to click an ad. I just don't want to do that. But what am I going to do if something really intrigues me? I'm just going to go right to the browser, type their homepage mm-hmm. right in and check it out.
0: By the way, that's why if you measure YouTube, like you measure Google on direct response, click through <laughs> conversions, it will look like the channel is underperforming. It is That's not right. a Google, It's not like an AdWords channel with intent. That's so, right. On.
1: That's right. So <clears throat> one way around that is to actually, um, annotate when you started running the ad campaigns for YouTube pre-roll or whatever it is, then over time measure your branded search, um, volume and clicks specifically clicks. And you can do this really easily in Google search console. It's Mm -hmm. the the best place to go. go We are going to get
0: deep into the details right now. I got a good one for you. Keep going.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. So go to your Google search console. You can go back as now Google search console actually allows you to go back 12 months. They never used to do that, uh, which is very useful, but you can filter by um, any query containing your brand. And not only will you see the exact searches for like your brand, like just the, the brand name, but you'll also see searches for like your brand plus product which is awesome to see, or your brand plus pricing. Pricing, yeah. Your brand plus fill in the blank, <laughs> right? So when you see that conglomeration of, of branded queries increasing and it correlates to the time that you started ramping up your your brand ads or whatever it is you're doing for your for your ad campaigns and that's a that's a positive sign and, and the second point is chris we always talk about this but not everything can be measured in the way that a cfo wants <laughs> mm-hmm. so i'm going through um, this
0: right now i'm going to i'm going to pick your brain on it live
1: it's tough man it's tough I, so I, i'll stop there i could keep going but i'll stop
0: <laughs> yeah so on the branded search queries in, in search console so i have a I, i'm working with a company right now and so Basically, their branded queries were at X in January. Um, we started working together in April. There was a pretty decent decline from January to March before we started working together. Um, and Now, since that point, it's been flat. We've adjusted the media mix. We're spending pretty considerably across several social channels and AdWords, and we did some YouTube. Um, branded search is flat. In search console, you only see volume. Right. And so that's the one thing that I wanted to dive a little bit deeper. You see, you see search volume of impressions and clicks. um, But anything after that, Google will take the SSL walk and you won't be able to see conversions or any type of quality metric of the traffic. And so when we look, when we try and like look deeper into this situation, I'm obviously making assumptions or guesses as to what could be happening at this point. Um, So let's pretend that that company was running very poorly targeted Facebook and LinkedIn ads before they started working with us at the same spend. Could it perhaps be that there was actually more volume driven by irrelevant queries because the ads were poorly tar- targeted and someone wanted to figure it out versus this? I don't know, but it's a hypothesis.
1: Yeah. I think you're onto it, man. Cause <laughs> actually what could, could also be happening is that the quality of the ads just sucked. And you know, if your ads suck, you actually annoy more people (laughs) and then that negative stigma is associated with your brand. Like, Oh, these annoying shitty ads. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't care about this company anymore. So even if someone like you comes in later and tries to repair the damage you know, it's like, uh, how many heart attacks can you suffer before you do a quadruple bypass? right? Like that's that's basically the way I'd characterize it.
0: Yeah, I think the the take home for me as I looked at this account is that volume is a leading indicator, but it does not tell the entire story. With anything in marketing, volume is an indicator of something. Um, unless it's revenue or something, (laughs) something like that. But if we look at things like branded search query, it is so far away from revenue metrics. So what they're having flat branded search query demo requests doubled over a three month period on a 90 day sales cycle and, and in the ICP type of demo requests. And so when you have those two competing metrics, which one are you going to trust?
1: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you want to look at a, a, a specific set of branded queries, I think. Like just the brand name, like you said, is way too far away.
0: Could be investors, could be totally. um, potential employees, could be internal employees, could be people trying to log into the SaaS tool exactly. that are searching through Google as a pass-through.
1: Exactly. And that's what, and that's actually what most of it is. Most people are like... That's what I do
0: for almost every... Unless I yeah. had saved in the browser, I'm just going to go to Google and I'm going to go. Yeah.
1: That's it. Now some people search like Nextiva login, you know, some people do that, but some people Pretty just rare. search Nextiva <laughs> yeah. and then, yeah. And then they just go to the login from the homepage. Right. Mm-hmm. That's also why the homepage is also often one of the worst testing grounds. Like everyone's like, yeah, let's test our homepage. Like it's really shitty, but especially if you have a huge it's customer base with a
0: SaaS with a login tool, because a lot of it is just coming right through into the login
1: that easily 80% of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I mean, you can, you know, you can block like, uh, your, your, your settings on that. If you want to do a test, like if you're using like an AB testing tool, you can actually just filter out, um, oh, if this person has been to the site in the last 30 days, I only want to test this against brand new traffic. So you can do that. Um, but generally speaking, the homepage is not a good place, but, um, back to the original point was what branded query should you look at? And it's going to be things like, um, your brand free t- plus free trial. Like, you should track that. Your brand plus demo. There are mm-hmm. people out there searching. Like, if they're yep. ready, like, your brand pricing, your brand free trial, your brand demo. Buying intent.
0: I like that. I really like that.
1: Yeah. Buying intent. Even like your brand with like a very specific feature or integration. Now, integration is kind of a trap. Like, that could go both ways, but like, your brand plus like feature for specific ICP. Like, if somebody searches um, Nextiva, cloud phone system for call center. <laughs> that's pretty juicy. <laughs> right? That's pretty damn juicy. Now if someone just searches Nextiva or a Nextiva cloud phone system, like yeah that's good, but it's it's not as good. So um, just get into your search console. That's the bottom line. Just mm-hmm. you know, export a set of your, of all your branded queries. Um, then get into your Google ads account and and look at your search terms report and filter by anything that contains your brand name and just go through that shit. Cause <laughs> you're going to see some unbelievable stuff. It does take a lot of gold mining, but I'm telling you it's time well spent.
0: Yeah. I got, I got another one for you on the same topic. So let's say that you're running the U, the YouTube pre-roll ads is there a way besides the click on the view to track like Google owns analytics, YouTube, all these different things. They there must be some type of view through attribution or something. I I haven't tried it yet, but there must be, I don't know. Well,
1: Typically it's all UTM tagged. Um, Only on the
0: click though, right? Not on the view.
1: Yeah, yeah, only on the click, not on yeah. the view. Yeah, yeah, the view. Now you're getting into so like-, like
0: Monday.com got me, but I never clicked through on that. It'd be just. It'd, I'll dive deeper into it. I'll come back yeah. next week on the on the YouTube view through attribution. It's tough though because and an, yeah. on a view through metric, by the way, I've started to omit um, retargeting from that component, and so it's only the only value that I'm measuring on is cold targeting view through. Which it has, yeah, and that's the right way to do influence. It. Yeah,
1: yeah, because if you co-mingle it, it's you know you, you're going to have um, false negative, uh, false positives. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like
1: your lead targeting love- traffic is going to be on fire, and you're going to say, "Oh shit, our cold display intent is is killing." Bullshit. <laughs> it's it's everybody that's already seen your pricing that's already long been familiarized mm-hmm. with your company. Where
0: so, where yeah. else are there fa- false positives that people should watch out for?
1: Ooh, um, I would say keyword traps. Like you've got to understand what your keyword traps are, and um, uh, the best example I can ever give is like for Nextiva. Um, imagine, imagine a search query for phone plans, just phone plans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? Uh, yeah, I got we, a
0: customer that sells uh, financial software B2B, mm-hmm. and one of the keywords that I came into was budgeting or budgeting process or something like that. Yeah. That's going to get personal budgeting million searches a month
1: and bleed. Yeah. That's a (laughs) hemorrhaging. You'll be hemorrhaging. That's a major trap. Yeah. So you got to watch out for the keyword traps. Like that's what it comes down to. Like knowing your industry really, really well. Like if you're in paid, if you're in paid customer acquisition, I would argue that aside from like the tactical chops that you need to have, like the number one thing you should do is have the deepest possible understanding of your industry and what customers search for. Literally. Like if you, if you, if you don't know that first you're done, like you're already going to lose in the race, like for sure you're done. Um, I don't know how I even got to that point, <laughs> but, um, what, what was the original point? It was, that we, it
0: was on, it was on the fa- false, uh, false positive. So you oh, think right. the marketing is working, but it's actually not because of how it's being measured.
1: Right, right. So, yeah. so phone plans, let's talk about phone plans, right? Yeah. Um, Nextiva sells cloud phone systems. Now phone plans is extremely dangerous because you could even get a lot of conversions from it. Now here's the, here's the interesting thing you could even put in your ad copy business phone plans for call centers or whatever. And consumers are still going to click it. Mm -hmm. And they're just, they're not going to read. They're just going to
0: click. $14 a click and they're going to convert. So I had one, we were doing a competitor search and we had several people complete our requested demo form on the competitive search term looking for support for their product. Damn. The competitive product, like that's damn, <laughs> which you, you just yeah. got to be, you got to watch out for that. And you're, if you're only looking at front end metrics for high volume stuff like that, it's, it could look like it's working. You bleed. <laughs> yeah. You
1: bleed. Now, now here's the, now here's the fascinating thing. If you are up against behemoth competitors, like giants, like Endless money, and I mean endless, like the the piggy bank never runs out. Uh We're talking, you know, billion dollar net worth valuation companies, Uh like insane money. They are going to bid on everything. Uh They don't care. Uh And the biggest danger for you as um, as the David going against the Goliath is saying, look, they're doing it we should do it too. No, (laughs) they can afford to bleed. They're going to bleed They're They have accepted that they will bleed 50% of the traffic that comes for this query because it's a mixed bag. They're not even
0: tracking ROI.
1: No, they just want to be number one. Mm -hmm. They just want to be number one. So an example in our industry is like, I'm not going to even give them free publicity, but there's a company that bids on residential, and business mixed intent terms and they don't care. Now, I don't know what happens when residential intent leads come in. They probably have a really annoying problem on their hands to weed all that shit out, but good for them. Let them deal with that and let them have the sales process inefficiency cuz I don't want it. So, so that's the danger in like copying competitors and just saying, "Oh, they're number 1 in our industry. They're doing this. It must be working. <laughs> we should do it too." Like no, don't be a sheep. Don't be a follower. Be a, a trailblazer, as good old Salesforce wants you to think. So, uh, that's that's what I got on that.
0: Right on, man. That was that was awesome. That was a nice little back and forth there. I like it. So, we'll uh, we'll change gears here just a little bit. It's it's kind of relevant, um, kind of in the same area. So, it was actually a question that came in. I'm going to misquote it because I just have the bullet points here. Um, but it's just thinking about. Um, website design and approach, and we'll just put it in the context of let's just say you're a, you know, ten million dollar company. So we don't have ten billion dollars of budget, and we don't have ten million years to launch it.
1: So you have a ten million dollar budget?
0: No, 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 ten million dollar company. So you just got, and you got to, you got to get a website up. There's just like maybe high level how you think about that, like. Okay. Um, to just to be honest, like I'll get the conversation started. Like it's not a place where I focus a lot. Like I'll, I'll focus on CRO on a website, but when I go into a company, I expect them to have a killer website that's operating. Like performance speed is something that I'll focus on as a, mm-hmm. to move into CRO or SEO. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall website design, like I expect the companies I work for to have that done before I get in there. So I'll, I'll pass that to you.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So. <laughs> Oh, this is a huge topic, dude. Like it's so vague and so vast. Like I don't even, it's, 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 it's insane. Um, all right. So let's just say you are a company that is $10 million, like you said, and you're trying to get your, your, your website design into tip top shape. The thing I would really consider is, is, um, having every page on your website be as valuable as possible. And, and here's, here's what I mean by that. A lot of companies at first, they just think volume of pages is what's needed to compete. So what do they do? They say, Oh, we, we have a blog. We need a, we need content. So what do they do? They just go outsource a ton of low value articles, spin them up, start running ads on them. Right. Um, they start creating tons of landing pages They don't really know what they're doing. They just see all these other companies with all these feature pages and all these product pages and all these integrations pages and all these explainer pages and all this blog content and all this stuff. And they just feel like, you know what, we're behind in the race and we need to catch up. And ultimately what happens is they end up with, and uh, a very bloated site (laughs) with a lot of low value pages and they're realizing crap. Now we have all these pages and like the traffic is not correlating with the the output of production and the leads are not correlating with the output of output of production. Um, So why is that? Because they didn't think through content strategy. They just, you know, kind of threw a bunch of stuff up against the wall. See what, see what was sticking but you know, that's one thing to definitely avoid. Like don't think that like you just need volume uh, in order to scale your traffic and your, and your lead gen for, from inbound. Cause that's not the way to do it. I would say the other thing in terms of like design and, and like website flow is to like put mobile first. A lot of smaller companies don't do that. They just think about uh, desktop only and then the mobile experience totally sucks. And, and another trap is like, they'll say, yeah, you know, um, most of our customers don't really buy on mobile. So it's, it's not as important, but even if, even if say the split is 70, 30 desktop mobile, um, that's going to grow over time. And they're probably doing important searches like in their downtime on their mobile device. And they expect to see a good experience there. The final thing I'll say before I, before I pass it back to you, Chris, is like be unique, like don't copy, <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that, that's all I could really say. Like, don't copy. You know, it was a fascinating thing that one of the next designers did. They did an analysis of all the competitors in our industry, what their design like palettes and, and formulas are, but they stripped out the logos and they, and they gave us a quiz. Like whose whose company is this? Which competitor is this? Which competitor is that? The truth is we couldn't really tell. That's the truth. Like, we're like, shit, is this, this, is this, that (laughs) like, they all had like three of them were like almost exactly the same, Mm. like blurred out the the, the brand names and the copy and just showed like the the pages. And we're like, damn, this really is all the same stuff. Everyone really is copying each other. (laughs) So, so then you need to do what ahrefs did they went completely like different like they totally came up with their own font style like be unique be stand out um use design as a competitive advantage not something that's like you know you're just doing to meet the status quo or copying everyone else
0: a couple points i'll add here i don't have a ton of value um but i as a, as a user, I love the simplicity in a main nav. I find some companies stuff everything into a nav. If you're not getting traffic, just put it, just put it in the footer. Like Put it in the footer or not in either of those navs. Um, inside of the main nav, sticky, obviously. And the last thing that I see working well is, especially if you're using paid social to drive traffic, which is going to be 99% or more on mobile. Um, if you're gonna do that, then I would, Really highly encourage you on the top right hand corner to have a little get a demo button because that one is working really well.
1: I love it, Ben. R- real quick, how do you feel about the hamburger navigation? You know what I'm talking about? The I hamburger do. icon?
0: I do. Um,
1: um,
0: on, on mobile, I don't see a lot of other ways to do that. Desktop, there's people doing it. Oh, I'm not a fan of the, the hamburger on the desktop.
1: Yeah, hated it. Is it.
0: Sounding funny it's if you take it out of context.
1: I dealt with this problem <laughs> I dealt this problem major at pipe drive. Major, major. Um, and uh looks like fast forward to today they finally listened, but uh <laughs> now, I
0: have listening. I have a really weird story, but I swear that there's a point. Um and so I um yesterday I took my dog and outside of the apartment there is a uh a fenced in area for a dog, and I put her in there. And then I'm like looking at my phone and all of a sudden she's out in the street. And so then I look and I was like, Oh, there's a, there's a fenced in area, but there's a huge space between where the fence ends and where the building starts. It's a brand new construction. And it's just a point of like, when we get back to website design, it's designing to, that you think is good, but losing sight of the actual use. And so the hamburger on desktop is designing for the sake of design, not designing for usability. I feel like, I hope that, I hope the dots were connected there. I was frightened. I ran after her, I grabbed her and we got out of there. So everything is all good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, one final thing I'll add is I hate when, um, companies use really small font size, Mm -hmm. like, you know, 12,
0: there's a standard for that, right? 16,
1: 16, 16, But there there are some companies that are doing like 12, even 14. But keep in mind, every font looks different at every size point. Yeah. So like 16 in a certain font may look actually much smaller than what's recommended. So keep that in mind as well. Like get into the to, into the UX nerd stuff with like, typography and, and the font sizes because there's nothing more f- and, and know your audience type too. Like if you have older people that are majority of your traffic and customers, they probably going to want larger font. Cause as you get older, what happens? Your eyesight, your eyesight goes to shit. Um, at, you know, it's not like you're, 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 you're catering to the B2C TikTok audience where you can maybe get away with it, but keep all that in mind as well.
0: Cool. So we'll take a pause here. Anyone that has questions, feel free to drop them in. We're going to have probably like 20 minutes. We have one one question to go that came in before and then we'll have time for kind of like open Q&A, which I think would we, be great. We can get into some detail or some context. So if there's something that like you're working on, like I, I just used and I didn't use him, but Gautano and I just talked through something that I'm, I'm going through right now on the branded search thing. It was really helpful. So if there's anything that you're working through that you'd like our input, feel free to drop that in. Um, so this question is directed at me, but so I'll get it started, but I think you'll have some stuff to add. And so the question came in from Katie. It was, um, I'm curious why you're not treating the Refine Labs post with a similar copywriting style to your personal page. Um, and then there was a lot more detail, but that's in essence the thing and thinking if we use my style that it would probably perform better. And so this is going to be a long winded answer. Um, but I, I do think that it's important to understand how I, how I think through all this stuff. And so when I, when I start doing new executions, I think about it as if when I am going to another company, how I'm going to implement it. And so I know that I'm not going to be there and they might not have someone that has a copywriting style like mine. So I need to figure out how we can package it in a way that can be replicated. And the way that this started was, um, in like maybe July of last year, it was the first LinkedIn post that I had that was like, woof, like it had a lot of traction. And at that moment, the light bulb went off and I, I thought to myself, I actually called the only, the only employee that I had at that point, And I said in three months or less executives are going to pay us $10,000 a month to show them how to do what I just did. Um, and three months later, that's what happened. And we had people that were paying us that amount of money to show them that stuff. Eventually we evolved from there. Um, and then the next thing that I did was I was looking at the trade shows and every time I was like telling a customer, I was like, you shouldn't do the trade shows. I think they're a waste of money, but we, we, they wouldn't move away. And so I was, I came back to myself and I was like, I need to show them what good looks like. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to do field marketing events that were small and micro that were driven on drive building content, not driving leads that were way more, way less expensive could happen in more high volume and you get the benefit of the content amplification, not trying to sell to the people that are at the event. And so I did two of those. I got to learn how to do them, how much they cost, what was the impact, how you distribute the content, the impact of having Justin Welsh promote the event and how much awareness that brought to me and my company. Um, Just the fact that he was promoting it in in the video brought, I think, raised the brand a lot. And so to get back to the LinkedIn thing, when when I built this, the idea was, how are we going to be able to do this if we go to seven companies and try and show them how? And so that's how, it, that's how it's designed. We have a lot of content being pulled in from other people. Basically, like I'm doing podcasts, I'm doing stuff like this, and we're going to use Catano's content on the company page. Sometimes we mix some of mine in or Justin Welsh or Amy, Amy Volus or anyone else who's on the thing, and we promote th- their content on that platform uh, or on that page. And, you, and then we can repurpose or paraphrase what they said as the copy which for any company should be replicatable for any company. Some SME subject matter expert should be able to go either interview or record content. And then somebody else should be able to paraphrase and repackage that content on a company page that is not an executive and not an expert in the topic. And so that's, that's why I do it that way. And hopefully we can get it to the, the, Goal. Just so everyone knows the goal was to get this to a place where the company profile on Refine Labs has 10,000 followers and is getting 200 to 1000 engagement on every post from ICP. And when you get there then people start to take notice right now. We're at 2,500, the engagement's relatively slow and inconsistent. I do have confidence and I'm also on kind of like a, I'm on a mission to show that a company page can work and figure out how to do it. So that's, that's, it's kind of an experiment right now. Um, but that's like a really deep dive into how I think about it.
1: I, th- I think that's super cool, man. And, and, you know, I think it, it kind of reinforces something that I, I had a hard realization of this week And it actually is a reflection of my post from today, which is that, um, I forgot what it feels like to build something from scratch. Like I've had websites that, you know, have gotten traffic and I've grown into a lot more traffic. And my Instagram has had a lot of followers for a long time. And my own site has had a lot of followers for a long time. And my own LinkedIn presence has been big for a long time. And it's been a while since I decided to build something from scratch. And I forgot how much it sucks when it's a slow turtle pace. I'm so, see, I'm high all the time off of everything. After all the engagement, after all the traffic, all the leads, like even at Nextiva, things are pumping, man. So when you're used to, you know, being in candy land, and then all of a sudden you get locked out of the store, <laughs> it's tough. So where is it, what does this all mean? I uh, launched a podcast called the musicians and tech podcast, and it doesn't have much to do with like growth marketing and metrics and the shit that people really want to hear about on LinkedIn. Right. But there are a set of people out there that I've spoken to. Like, so I manually one to one had over a hundred conversations, whether in person or DM about the idea. Hey, the idea is basically um, to bridge the gap between the tech industry and the music business interviewing uh, music executives and learn about how they think about um, <clears throat> brand marketing for the artists that they have under their label umbrellas, the, the business of music publishing, music law, how, how does it relate to tech and marketing and sales and stuff like that. And every single person I, I spoke to about the idea said, yes, this is awesome. I want to be on your email list. Like, awesome. Can I get your personal email address? And they were like, yes, here it is. I would love to be on the distro. So I send out the first email this week and like 10 people unsubscribed people that I just spoke to about the idea that said, yes, I love it. I want to support. Yes, this is awesome. I would love to also pick your brain. <laughs> um, but, but, and, and also like, you know, it didn't like get a huge number of clicks either. Like, you know, I sent it to a hundred people, you know, I had like a 70% open rate and then like a 20% click through rate. Right. So then that means like, damn, like you told me you liked the idea. You said you, you loved it. You said you wanted to support and then you open the email and you don't click. (laughs) Like it makes no sense. I just talked to you about it two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So, so it just made me remember like, damn, building something from the ground up is really hard. And if you're feeling like I want to build a community or I want to build a blog or I want to build my social presence, like myself, Chris, like we all had to start from ground zero from nothing. Like it didn't take, like Chris didn't just get all this engagement and inbound, you know, um, inquiries about refined labs overnight. Like I'm sure you've been doing this now, Chris, three, four, five years. Um, same with me with mine. So it was just a harsh reminder that like one, it takes like things move at a turtle pace and you just have to be patient. And two, um, there's just flat out some people that are not going to support you. Not everyone's going to support what your mission is, and you know, don't take it personal. Um, and that was a tough realization for me this week that um, I had to re-remember.
0: It's it's really interesting. I went on that rant about how I think about the company page and the events, and then the LinkedIn page. And it's really, as I look back on it, when I was do I, the the point is, I think that we need to ha- we if you want to continue to persist through the slow turtle pace, you need to have a higher level mission or something. And so my mission was always to prove that a tactic would work better than another one, um, which then allows me to have the fuel to be creative and do the events and put $10,000 into an event and not know what the return is going to be because I believed in the idea Um, and then I wanted to be able to show someone that. So it's just a point like, um, whenever I'm doing any of these things and I think it shows in my content and I tell people this directly and they're like, yeah, you're a bullshitter. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Which is that I never made a LinkedIn post with the idea of an, of how it's going to make me money. Never once. It is always about how am I going to distribute information so that so that all of you, it's now 38, it was 43. All of you people continue to show up every week. It's amazing. It makes me feel good. Um, and so it's just another thing to just have, have a, if, if you're motivated by money, that's amazing that you recognize that. And that's great. But I've found at least for me and everyone's different, that the, the innovation component is what drives me.
1: Dude. I love that, man. I love that. Now, just to close out, um, there are people out there and I can sniff it out. Uh, I'm sure some of you can too that their linkedin posts are scientifically engineered to go viral like they they don't do it because it's how they really feel or what they believe or it's just genuinely speaking on something that they want to speak on it's my mission is to get as much engagement as possible to go hardcore viral to get thousands of likes and engagements so i am going to const- i'm going to spend hours constructing this post in a way that is going to make me go viral so that I can heighten my visibility. And that's all they really care about because they are addicted to the adrenaline rush of social media glory. I'm not going to name any names, but there are people who are really good at doing this and their sole objective is to heighten their own personal brand and create noise. Um, so I would much rather, um, receive content from someone like Chris whose motivation is not to make money or get leads, but it's to actually challenge, um, you know, the status quo, right? Like a long sustained belief in the industry that has now gone stale and no one wants to challenge that belief, which Chris, which Chris does a great job of doing like that's the kind of content I appreciate. And it's not content that's designated to go viral or, you know, be clickbait or whatever, but it's really good info. So just something to be aware of when you're out there scrolling through your LinkedIn feeds, be careful what you like and comment on because you may be inadvertently fueling someone else's um, gaming the system style content. So maybe we can close out on that. Yeah.
0: And just, and just by the way, um, along the journey, this has happened a couple of times where like the engagement only matters if you execute afterwards. And so like, I've had conversations with people that get a lot of engagement and say things. And then you actually have the conversation with them and they don't know what they're talking about. So like eventually that game, any hack eventually gets exposed. Um, so just another thought there. Cool, cool, cool. Um, anyone want to drop in a couple of questions? I saw, I saw Matthew had one on backlinks. We can, gee, you can get that one. That's out of my space. How do you do backlinks for your team's blog?
1: Yeah. Uh, so Matt, I think I've talked about this before, brother, but uh, I'll talk about it again. So really the name of the game when it comes to links is street cred, street cred, baby. Yeah. So how does it work? Um, I go and I ask as many marketing podcasts as possible. Hey, can I be a guest on your podcast? And, um, pretty much they'll always say yes. And, In the write-up of the podcast show notes or the blog um, that highlights the summary of the podcast will always be a link to Nextiva. And that's a link that I don't have to say, hey, if you give me a link, I'll do something for you. It's just I've already done you a favor of giving you great podcast content. I'll share it. And then in return, um, I will get a link from you. So that's the number one way that I go about building backlinks. And it's, you know, it's a double whammy actually, cause I get the free social promo. I, I get, um, the credibility boost, all that's all that fun stuff. Um, so that's the number one way that I, that I build backlinks. Probably the second way that I go about it is just good old fashioned hard work. Like I, I go and I monitor keyword mentions throughout the web So whenever, for example, all of our competitors are mentioned and we're not, we go and hit them up. Um, Whenever all of our competitors are linked somewhere and and they're included on a roundup and we're not, we go and hit them up. Um, If there's ever a place where a backlink is broken we go and hit them up and say, Hey, I noticed you guys are linking to competitor XYZ in this article, but the page that you're linking to is broken because they've disabled that page on their website. And now you're linking to a broken source. Um, we happen to have a resource that is much better quality than what you were linking to previously. And, um, in order to clean up that broken link, would you, would you, um, consider linking to us and not, um, you know, sending external link equity to a broken site. So those are some of the big ways that I do it. But at the end of the day, it's just like asking friends for favors. Like I've done a lot of people favors in the past and I just ask them, Hey, can I get a backlink? Cause I need a favor. And like nine times out of 10, they'll say yes. So, um, it's a long game. Uh, you gotta be all over it. It's, it's a, v- it's talk about turtle pace. <laughs> That's a slow turtle pace grind. Um, and it's really hard to get backlinks, but, um, you know we we focus on this pretty much every day and we've been doing it for three four years straight um and the results are showing but it's it's a grind no doubt about it
0: cool anyone feel free to drop in your questions i have one for g i think we can riff on this for a minute which is that so let's say you have to hire a vp of demand gen tomorrow what do you do <sighs> it's it's just, I think it's a, not tomorrow, but like re, you have to hire yeah. them soon. It's more, this is more on the, the trend difference that I see in my own hiring patterns. Sure. How I hire versus how, you know, the $300 million company would hire. Um, sure. And so I think it's, yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. I can get it started if you want. I'm just like, well,
1: cool. I mean, here, I'll start off with this point and then I'll let you riff on it, Chris. Yeah. And I'm sure you already know this. Um, every great, truly great demand marketer is either very happily nestled in to a great situation that they don't want to get out of, or they're so good that they're unhirable, that they're someone like you who runs their own business. That's just the reality. Now, there are a percentage of people out there who have incredible potential to be all stars. You know, I see like Matthew, like you're, you're someone in that category, right? Like you're grinding hard every day. You're getting better and better each week. You keep showing up to demand gen live. Like you dude, you're going to be successful just because you, you know, you have work the immigrant ment- yeah. you work hard, dude. Like my yeah. CEO says it all the time. Like I'm not the smartest CEO, but I read more. I study more. I spend time uh, with more customers. I work harder. So by working harder, I'm um, by, by, Association going to learn more and then be better over time. So, so, um, so, so leading off with that, I think is where an interesting point comes along with like big companies with big budgets. What do they go do? They go pay like, you know, talent acquisition companies and headhunters and recruiters to try and go find these people. Um, but you know, the, the problem is that, um, (laughs) they they don't even really know what to look for. They don't know who's good or who's bad. They just see, oh, Salesforce is on the resume. They must be good, mm-hmm. which could be the horrible fit for your company. So mm-hmm. it also depends on the stage of growth that your company's in. What channels, like channel to strength fit, mm-hmm. is huge. So maybe I'll pause here, Chris. But I, you know, I could really go dig, uh, dig deep on this.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially when you start getting to higher level roles where it's not just the skill set; it's also the leadership qualities. I think it gets even harder. Um, like it's a, it's like a needle in a haystack at this point, just as I reflect, I, so I hired five demand marketers in Q3, not all at this seniority level. Um, or sorry, in Q2, let me rephrase that in Q2, three out of the five, this is exactly how I hired them. I knew in my head that at some point in the next three months, I was going to need these people. I knew what they were, what qualities they had I knew what they were like. And then I was just passively watching. And then all of a sudden in LinkedIn, unfortunately someone to post, unfortunately I was laid off yesterday. It was a great, you know, great time. Really grateful. I see their headline demand gen marketer message them, say, Hey, you know, I got a demand gen role It'd be perfect. I did that for three out of the five hires. I did that all three hires I'm very happy with. Um, which is, Very different than how a lot of companies would do it not to say that that's going to be a hundred six percent successful I think a lot of it also has to do with how I vet people like Not everyone that I did that to ended up becoming working at my company I was not three for three, but I did hire three people that way. So I just think that's uh, a completely different way to look at doing that which is not using a recruiter or firm that doesn't actually know the details of what's going on, not posting a job and sorting through, which I did have done before and sort through a thousand resumes, Ninety ninety five 95% of them are more, which are, which are junk and irrelevant. So yeah, those, those are some of the things that I'm doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, next to a hundred million dollar a year in annual revenue. Um, we don't use services like that, mm-hmm. you know, like whenever I need to hire a really important role, I take matters into my own hands because I know that uh, it's just going to be so much easier. And, and I'll be honest with you, every single person I've hired on, on my team has been a home run and I'm not saying that's a brag or you know, to give myself brownie points, but I just, I vet really tough and I, and I don't even engage with someone unless I really research them. I see, you know, what have they done? Have they published case studies on their own uh, experiments? Like do they have side projects often enough? People who have like passion projects are the greatest people to work with because they
0: because they actually love it.
1: They love it. They have purpose. You know, these uh, age people with agency backgrounds are awesome. Um, I'm I'm trying to hire a designer right now. I just learned that vice media laid off like 200 people in June. What do you think I went and did Mm -hmm. the other day? Went to LinkedIn.
0: Yeah. Creatives out of agencies. Good ones.
1: Totally. Totally. Right. So, so, um, you oftentimes like you've just got to take matters into your own hands, and especially because demand gen is so um
0: hard to judge it's tough cloudy to judge. Yeah. it's
1: cloudy man if you go tell a talent h r recruiter to like, "Hey, go find me ahead of demand gen i got happen.
0: I got a job description from someone in h r and it was just like, yeah, it was so far from what I needed. And yeah. it was like the standard job description for the job title, <laughs> but they don't know. Like, t- t- no, it's not. It's not their fault. It's not their it's just fault. That, like, yeah. yeah, it's not their fault. It's, it's just that, like, fault. the there's so many nuances in the role. The last thing that I'll yeah. say is, if you're hiring at a VP level, I think a really scary part is that that person has now become more of a people manager than an actual understander of the strategy. And so they bring with them the 2011 demand gen play that they, that's the last time they executed it. And now all they've been doing is managing people to do that.
1: Yeah. So I'll give you my philosophy on that, which I think is a little bit different than most. Um, So here's the difference between me and why I win and why big companies often lose. Big companies do this. Oh, let's go to the logos on the resume. Microsoft, check. Salesforce, check. right? They must be good. Mm -hmm. Me, I don't want that. (laughs) What do I want? I want someone who was like me five years ago. Scrappy.
0: Worked in a small company, has a breadth of experience and a detailed knowledge and has actually done it. When you get to the big companies, Mm -hmm. like I was talking to some person, it was like the director of global demand or something for some big global
1: big, just seeing global big, scale.
0: big company and all they did was decide which content syndication vendors they were going to allocate their 10 million dollar content syndication budget across oh that was their God. job
1: my chest just had a palpitation <laughs> 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 um let me you know <laughs> it's we so tough like, like, <laughs> you know the other thing too is like those people like i don't want to bash it entirely like let me tell you one scenario where i think it kind of makes sense let's say you're publicly traded. If you make a VP of marketing hire that has that cache, just announcing that you hired someone that's a 20 year veteran from Microsoft, your stock price is gonna soar through the roof, right? Like that's just the nature of the game. Uh, You need someone to be a voice on those earning calls. Like that's real big picture shit. Yeah. That's super big, but I, I do feel that there is maybe a time and place for that, but it's these companies that are already massive. They're on autopilot. Like, they're doing the majority of their expansion through channel marketing, resellers, partners, big enterprise deals, like word of
0: mouth drives a lot of it. Once you're at a certain size,
1: integrations, partnerships, like strategic ways to like, you know, connect the dots between your product and another big product and then cross sell amongst those two customer bases. Like that's the way a lot of those big companies are doing it. When you're a series B series C, you need a hungry growth marketer. Like some, and this is the, I'll close out on this the number one trait you should look for, the number one, and this has been true 100% of the time for me. If you find a candidate that has something to prove, something to prove, like you, Chris, you want to prove that, you know, old school tactics don't work anymore. You're determined to show that social, uh, organic social and LinkedIn for a company page can work. Like, you're going to succeed in that because like, you're just determined to just flip the game upside down on that. Right. Like you want somebody that came from a company that said this, oh, my last boss wouldn't let me do shit was controlling. Didn't believe in my ideas. I had a fight for mindshare. It was just so frustrating. Cause I knew that if I was given some leeway that I could really make something happen. And now I'm hungry to like, take my, take my playbooks and run with them. That's what you want. That's what you want. Mm-hmm.
0: Right on. That was great. We have a, a very fantastic question. I'll probably be the last one. I'm sorry if I don't pronounce this right. I think it's Nuam. Hopefully, we have that. And okay. So, the question is What are the key things to include in your marketing board report? Top metrics when you were a sole marketer, doing demand gen stuff, low lead numbers on the website, sales are being pushed for activity and getting worn out. They're starting to see market value in webinars and podcast blogs, but CEO wants to know numbers and numbers are not great. What would you put?
1: I mean, I would just be real about the numbers. Like, I think there's nothing worse than like trying to fudge the truth. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, with data, there's so many ways to like leave out shit (laughs) that like are so critical that you only show the shit that's working and create this illusion that like things are moving in the right direction. Um, when the truth is that revenue is tanking and pipeline is tanking, but you're showing leading metrics, leading indicators that are, you know, somewhat promising. So don't do that. Um, you know, Chris, I talked about this on the last one, man. I don't even know if I want to like really rip it apart again, but it's the same story all the time. It's figure out what key leading indicators you want to, you want to report and, and key lagging indicators Mm -hmm. and align with sales on what's important. You know, and, and just, and just do that. Like, I I feel like I can't even break it down again. because I've done it so many times.
0: Yeah. The only thing that I'll add that I don't think we've, uh, that we've really talked about before is understanding how to use the data points if they're low and transform them into the narrative that you need to tell around it the podcast numbers are low. We're only producing an episode every three months. It makes sense that the numbers aren't low. We should be producing one every day. Here's what it could be. If we produce one every day for the next three months, I'll need $5,000 to get that done or whatever it is. That's how you take low numbers and you change the narrative to this is what it could be. If I get, if I'm able to do X, Y, and Z, that's the way that I would position some stuff like that is, is more painting a picture of where we are today and where you think it could be and what you need to get from X from point A to point B.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's so huge to close out on that. It's the narrative around it all. Like it really is. It's, it's everything. It's everything. You know, imagine a slide deck with five slides on it that, you know, you're going to give your CEO to just give a basic pulse check on performance. Um, ideally, you know, you're going to have one graphic or one main data point, but then the rest of the slide should be the narrative around what that all means for the, for the business. You know, what are the short-term and long-term implications? A great example of this is like a keyword that you just are, you just got a new organic number one ranking for a new keyword that's important to the business. Um, but it has very, very low monthly search traffic. Maybe, you know, it gets 10 searches a month, but it's $200 cost per click. So if you're reporting on traffic and you say, yeah, you know, traffic right now is (laughs) kind of stagnant. What's that going to say? A CEO is going to think, well, we suck. But if you say, Hey, you know, traffic stagnant, but or it's only growing very, very, very slightly, but it's because we're focusing on super high intent. And we're now number one for an organic term that costs $200 a click and paid ads. And we're getting that traffic for free. And then you're able to show over time that you're getting web submissions, uh, chats, phone calls um, from that page, which corresponds back to the keyword well, then that means something. So it's all about the narrative and the way you frame it. Yeah. It's
0: essential. Uh, as I reflect on it, I'm like looking at it, it's essentially all I do on LinkedIn. When I'm a, whenever I call out a metric, it's the story behind why it's like this and why it's happening and what it means to the buyer and what it should mean to the executives, I think is the value. So, you know, we ran this thing, we got 10,000 leads, If you said that, like that could be the story for, that's the story that some people are telling. We ran this ebook, we got 10,000 leads, everything was great. And then if another person could like me could tell the exact same story, we ran the ebook, we got 10,000 leads, three of them converted to opportunities. One of them converted to a customer. We spent $200,000 doing it. Our customer acquisition cost was $200,000. The math doesn't work. Why? because nobody that was downloading the ebook had buying intent and the content wasn't valuable and nobody read it. And that's the, just the difference in how you can position the same exact data, just position differently.
1: Has anybody on this call read an ebook lately?
0: That'd be great. Um, thumb let's go to gallery just, mode and let's do yeah, thumbs up, thumbs do down. Has anyone read an ebook in the past six months? We got one.
1: I got one and two. I got two.
0: So I, I have to say that I, you got any more? I did. I read the Salesforce state of marketing reports. So I could rip it apart on LinkedIn. <laughs> that's the only I, one, I, I think we got a
1: t- out of 40 people on this call. I think a total of maybe three or four have downloaded and read an ebook.
0: Yeah. Why don't we break down why? Like I, it's not yeah. that I think that's the stick. The, the it's not about the, whether or not a book is good, it's the way that people have consumed information has changed in my view. Like, why is it happening that way?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that, I I think another follow-up point to this too, and this is a great topic to close out on Chris is for the three or four people on this call that did download an ebook. What happened after that? What did you do? Did you tell somebody about it? Did you share it? did you talk to a sales rep after that? Did you buy anything? I don't think, I don't think so. I, everyone's shaking their head. Yeah. Somebody just did it to research a competitor. Two, another two, person, two
0: comments. Yeah.
1: Two. Another person said just to skim through it, just to see what it said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, so, um, you know, I don't even know where this idea came from. I think it's, I think Chris, you said a long time ago, like, uh, I think you said it today on this call too, is like, Ebooks at one point were a hack, were a growth hack. Nobody was doing them really. Like, think about like 12 years mm-hmm. ago.
0: Also, in, if you look at the landscape of people that are doing ebooks, there are people that are doing ebooks that are selling at $997 through ClickFunnels. It might work for that. Selling a $100,000 ARR SaaS tool, probably not. Yeah. So that's one thing. <laughs> you um, know,
1: even for the ClickFunnels thing, like, who's going to buy a $997 ebook? Yeah. Like, you know, the way I've seen like um, some people doing it is click funnels for a course, which I think is another thing that's going to be plateaued soon. Like that was a growth hack like three, four years ago. And now it's like getting stale. But mm. back to the ebook point, why does it keep happening? Why is every company? It's,
0: it's really interesting as you reverse engineer. Yeah. A, lo- a lot of things that marketers do are driven by the propaganda from tech vendors. And so mm. the, the core, it's part of a, it's part of the HubSpot playbook. I don't know if I'm not going to blame HubSpot for this. It's, I don't, I don't know where, but like, it's part of the HubSpot playbook and the download gives you cookies and attribution. It gives you future attribution for someone in nine years that buys your product. And so I think that is one of the core reasons why it still happens. Yeah. Yeah. But let's, cl- <laughs> let's on the close on side, this point yeah sorry. I want you to close out on that point yeah. on the on the flip side, the ebook thing was created pretty much before social platforms existed like and so when you think about it that way, it was like reading a book on your desktop in two thousand and five mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of other ways to consume, and so the 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 same stuff has happened, but how people consume information has changed, just like in that time period less people watch TV, more people watch Hulu or come come to something like this, which is great. And so like, there's been a lot of stuff that's changed in how people consume information. And I think companies need to, it's not only about what they're doing, but it's the mindset of why they do it. And so when you look at the ebook, it's very easy to run a survey and put one book together every year and call it a day. It is not as easy to put out a video or a podcast every day on LinkedIn that people like, that people want. And so there's a significant mindset shift that needs to happen in where it's being distributed, how it's being packaged and how it's being distributed.
1: This is so awesome. I, I, I love that we're breaking this down. I, I think while you were speaking, something really important came to mind and, and I'll bring it back up. As you mentioned, the tech vendor propaganda. And this is an excellent point to close out on
0: attribution, ABM, right? Whatever. And,
1: and it gets even deeper. And this is like some like really deep stuff, but I'm going to predict that. And probably like, you're going to, it's probably going to already happening. If, if not yet, but fast forward, like 10, 15, 20 years, <laughs> these companies that are holding vendors hostage with mafia fees and I'm calling them out, the foresters of the world, the gardeners mm. of the world, the G twos of the world. How dare you create this quadrant, which has
0: vendors in the top that pay you the most money.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Let's just call it for what it is. Vendors in the top, right. Who are paying you the most and analysts who are, you know, like we can't even get a straight answer from G two. I'm like, why Nextiva is in the bottom right corner, like we have the best like service and and like satisfaction ratings, but we're not in the upper right. For some reason, we can't even get an answer on why it's like, Oh, the analysts read this and do that. And like, you know, so why does it, why does it happen though? It happens because in some of the buyers minds that are out there, and this tends to be the older school buyers, this is not an age thing. This is just reality. Uh they see that magic quadrant come out and they say, Oh wow. Yeah, they're in the upper leader corner. That company must be the best one to do business with. Now, the, now those companies go and say this, if you wanna use our mat, if you wanna license the, the, the rights to our magic quadrant report, you have to pay us an absurd amount of money just to use that report. And if you want to, and, and by the way, here's what all your competitors are doing. They're paying us that ransom and they're running retargeting to that, Mm -hmm. to that magic quadrant asset. And they're getting so many more leads than you. They're beating you. Like they're, so they're using all these pressure tactics. If you don't do this, your competitors will get that in order to get that ransom from you. So now what do you have happening? You have everyone paying them this ridiculous ransom fee, (laughs) You multiply that across every vertical that exists in SaaS, and what do you have? You got good fellas. Mm-hmm. That's what you got.
0: This has already happened in, B2, in B2C. So um, review sites that part of their model is vendors paying them break because mm-hmm. over time, pe- consumers understand that it's not real. Very, way less people use Yelp. Once um, restaurants hired agencies mm. to make 700 five star reviews for them, way less people believe Glassdoor than they used to because people go in there that work at the company, the HR people, and type in 600 five star reviews and give the CEO 99% approval ratings and he sucks. And so right. um, I, th- this will be exposed. It's just a matter of time.
1: Yeah. And, and to, to David's point, uh, and Damien, like it's already, it's been exposed for a while now, but the reason why you're not seeing a sharp decline, you're seeing probably a gradual decline and I have no data to support this, but mm-hmm. it's just my hypothesis. You're not going to see these co- companies are just going to say, no, like I'm not, I'm not paying you 200 grand a year just to use this stupid report. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it anymore. I get that we sell a 40 K ACV product, but I'm just not doing it because the real demand gen, Chris, and we always go back to this point. is a great one to close out on is be so good at brand marketing, be so good at demand marketing, be so good at educating your audience and your, and your potential buyers that you don't need that. There's very, very few companies who are that good. Very, very few like Ahrefs is the one I always think about. They come, that comes to mind. Like they refuse to even do paid ads like that's how confident they are and, and how mm. good they are educating the market. And there are uh,
0: certain, there are certain martech yeah. or other categories where I would never go to G2 to buy. I already know whose product I would buy if I needed it. Right. And that's the difference I think. It's right. the difference between being a vendor in a category or being the vendor that's in everyone's mind in the category, that's called
1: brand. That is huge, that is huge, that is huge, huge, huge. Because think about this, right? Conversational marketing or chat bots. Everyone already knows that in that upper right quadrant, you're going to see drift and intercom right there. Right? So, 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 if you are a company that is relying on an asset like that from Gartner or Forrester or whoever to validate you, you're not doing a good enough job with your marketing. Uh That's actually a sign that you need to step up your game. If you need to spend X hundred thousand dollars a year for some kind of asset like that in order to validate yourself, you're not doing a good enough job. And I think it's still relevant now to a very small subset of closed minded buyers who just care about shit like that. Mm-hmm. But in the future, that's not the way it's going to work.
0: I know executives yeah. that have parties when they get the top rating magic quadrant.
1: Yeah. It's, it's all bullshit. It can all be yeah. gamed. <laughs> like, like literally it can all be gamed. So, so this, that's a great one to close yeah. out on. Cause this I think was, that was a this pretty was epic cool. tear down.
0: We are, uh, we went in a lot of new directions. This was a good one, man. I liked it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, those analyst companies and stuff, they're not going to like this episode. (laughs) 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 So yeah, be afraid, be very
0: afraid. It is what it is. By the way, we're, we're uh, on the podcast. We're approaching 500 subscribers. Thank you for everyone that listens. We, uh, we take this, um, we rip it. It goes on YouTube at 9am the next morning. So it'll premiere then. Um, and then it also goes and gets archived on the podcast, which I, we've been watching the metrics. And so as we have started publishing more on the podcast, the viewership on YouTube has gone down. Very important insight if you're doing both to lean into the podcast because that's where consumers are going. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll close out on that. Maybe you got something you want to end on.
1: Now I'm just going to say, are you using Libsyn as your distribution?
0: Um, we, we use anchor. Um, oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. We use anchor. It's, it's free and simple and um, love Anchor. yeah, the, the whole RSS Libsyn thing. is just like, I, I needed something that was a little bit more straightforward. Maybe I over time you. we'll evolve to something, but right now it's working for us.
1: Yeah. I feel you on that. So maybe I'll close out with this. Aside from the musicians podcast um, I'm starting another podcast called the underdogs marketing podcast. And it it's was supposed the, to be this
0: one, by the way, but demand. It was supposed gen to be Live, this like, one, but
1: I I like how we're doing state of demand gen. It's very focused. The underground, yeah. uh, the underdogs marketing podcast, is actually the anti saster. I got really annoyed with seeing the same big names over and over again. Now they're clogging the social media feeds with their stupid extra short posts that are, you know, have these like really snarky punchlines. I hate it, like, um, I'm not gonna call this person out, but like I saw a post the other day that said like, the number one way to measure marketing, sales, and it got like 10 million likes. And then like someone copied them and said, the number one way to measure customer success, net revenue retention. And like everyone went nuts. And like, I don't know, those kind of posts piss me off. So I'm, I'm tired of seeing like the same names and the same people and they're paying, uh, Saster and all these other companies to like be on stage and they don't really deserve to be there. They're just a big wig at a big logo. So, so the point of the podcast is to highlight the underdogs. The, and the tagline for the podcast is the best growth marketers you've never heard of. It's a marketing podcast that doesn't suck. So, <laughs> um, I'm I like it. Be, cool. I'm concept. Gonna so you're f- going to
0: bring on people and interview. Cause there's a lot of people yeah. that do not talk on LinkedIn that are very good. I've had conversations with a couple and they're, you know, they're out there getting work done.
1: That's right. That's right. So I'm going gu- I'm looking for those kinds of people. And, w- and to close out, this is where it all comes from. Um, I used to be that guy in the shadows that got me too. In- you too. Yeah. It sucks. I used to be that guy behind the scenes getting no love. Everyone was like, "Damn, this company's growing like a weed. Who the hell's behind it all?" Yeah, no one knew it was me. Right now, the thing is, I'm not a super ego-driven person, so I don't need to be, you know, getting all that glory all the time. But damn, when someone else is stealing the credit for it, and it's like, "Oh wow, this company's growing like a weed," and it's some CMO sitting at the top who's just, you know, not doing shit all day. Uh, they're just answering emails and, and sitting on calls. Right? Um, <laughs> let's just be real and call it for what it is. Um, I'm looking for that workhorse that's being, uh, thrown into the shadows that no one knows about. That's actually doing a tremendous amount of work and adding incredible value to companies who know who you never hear about. So I'm looking for those, those ghosts, um, who exist out there that are doing great work, but they just get no love. So, um, that's, that's the point. So
0: right on. cool. Little, is. little plug. We will be uh, very anxiously awaiting episode one. Can't wait for that. All right. We have gone. <laughs> officially 17 minutes over which is good i enjoyed it I'm, i'm still happy to see 32 people here um yeah always always great to see you we had a bigger audience than normal which is amazing people are talking about it so um any questions feel free to shoot them to me um in linkedin dm email you know how to find me we'll get them on the agenda we'll cover them and uh look forward to seeing you all next week